But that we are in part 18 of our first Corinthian series that we called practical faithfulness And today's message is entitled faithful to the body of Christ So I have a couple simple questions for you and some personal stories Simple question is this Do you believe that you are valuable to the kingdom of God? Or do you believe God's going to get it done regardless? And here's what I mean you're going to hear everybody's gifted and we're in this whole section about spiritual gifts and and i can tell you all day long god's given you special meaning and he has a plan and he's working through i can tell you all that stuff but the truth of the matter is is that a lot of us are not engaging at all and i want to know why some of us believe that there's so much backup it doesn't matter God's going to do what he's going to do, man. It's not like I have to engage with the church. I got to bring my little gifts. And if I don't bring my little gifts, nothing's going to get done. And, and, oh, that's going to stop God's plan. Come on, seriously? No, I'm not that necessary. There are so many people to do this. It's not like somebody else doesn't have the help gift, right? You know what? Somebody else is going to do it. You got backup upon backup upon backup. I'm not that necessary. Let me tell you a story. Story is the parable of the talents, right? I never liked the parable of the talents because it was kind of like the guilt parable, right? It was, uh, here's how the story goes. If you're brand new to this, Jesus tells a story about a king who gave some money to his servants and he was about to bail out for a really long time. And he said, Hey guys, while I'm gone, can you kind of put this into play for me that when I get back, my kingdom would have advanced. So he gives one guy five, one guy three, one guy one, right? Whatever. So when he gets back, The first two guys doubled his money, and he's like, that's exactly what I was looking for. Awesome. Hey, one dude, what'd you do? Well, you know what? I knew that you're a tough guy. I knew that you get stuff that you didn't even work for. I, You know what? Here's the deal. I didn't want to disappoint you. I didn't want to do you know, the wrong thing. So what I did is I buried it in the ground. Here you go. Here's your stuff. No harm, no foul. We're good, right? Everybody remember how that story ends? That guy ends up like in hell, you know, and you're like, oh, shoot, that's a tough story. All right. Now, I don't want to get into all the hell pieces of it. What I want to say is one of the reasons why that guy didn't do anything with his gift was the reasoning process that I just said, which was, dude, it's not like you're going to make more money. It's not like you're going to do it with these other guys. These guys, you gave three and five for a reason. Why? They're better at it than I am. So what? I got my little one. I gave you back one. So I didn't use it. Not a big deal. Other people took care of it. He was held accountable for his job. Can God use other people? Yes. Will that get you off the hook? Absolutely not. You will be held accountable for the gifts that you've been given to utilize them in the body of Christ. Just because someone else can doesn't mean that you must not. Right? We must. It, the same reasoning goes along with prayer. Man, why do I, why do I got to pray? I mean, God's going to do what he's going to do, right? I mean, it's not like, oh, he's waiting on everything contingent on my prayers. You know, oh, the whole world is suffering with poverty because I'm not praying. You know what? Either God's going to fix it or he's not going to fix it. He's sovereign. So I don't even understand why I'm praying. Okay? Whether that is so or not, it does not let you off the hook. You pray because God said what? Pray. There you go. So... 
you're supposed to pray. And if in his divine sovereign will, he decides to make something contingent upon your prayers, he has the right to do that. He may very well say, I have all the power and the resources in the world to fix that problem right there. Guess what? I'm not going to till you pray. You're going to go. You're going to go because the minute you pray, I will unleash on that issue. But you know what? In my power, I can. I won't. So there you're going to pray. You're going to go because I will follow right after that. And we're sitting there going, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. Stop. If God told you to pray, you pray. It doesn't matter how it all works out. That's his business, not your business. So we pray. We have to engage in this idea that when God asks us to do something, it matters. Regardless of how, it matters. But what happens when you're called to do something and other people are called to do something different? That's agitating because we don't respect the idea of diversity. We like sameness. And there was a couple things in my life that really got wrecked because of me not being able to grasp this concept. Let me tell you a story. I was involved in a ministry in my late teens, early 20s in a, in a band, a, a ministry band. And we traveled around and we preached. Lots of people got saved um, our music was able to change a whole bunch of lives. I was the primary preacher in that band. So we preached all over the United States. And there was another guy that preached along with me. We did not like each other. I did not respect him. He did not respect me. I hated how he did things. He hated how I do things. Right? He was fire and brimstone. I was grace. I thought he was a jerk. He thought I was a wimp. And we just clashed all the time. Ultimately, it tore the band apart and it does not exist. And it stopped all the ministry we were doing. Why? Because I could not appreciate that there was a different way of doing things. He could not appreciate there was a different way of doing things. And therefore, no one got ministered to. I'll give you another example. First 10 years of being a pastor here, I really, really wrestled with how every other church does it. Because I'm getting all this formulation of a vision, right? God is showing me these scriptures. They're flying out of the book. And I'm so convinced and so locked on how it's supposed to be done. And every other time I'd go, you know what? Yeah, they are doing awesome stuff. They're just not doing it right. <laughs> I would look and I'd go, it's so obvious. It's right here. It's not like you can miss it. It's, I mean, there's a clear directive in the Bible on what the local church is for. And you know what? Everybody else is just kind of a little off. Because what I did not realize is that when they opened the Bible, God highlighted different scriptures and they popped out just as much as mine did to me. And they had a mandate and they were completely convinced and they had a vision and they were looking going, God, I know what you want me to do, but it's very hard not to place that on everybody else and not appreciate it. Diversity, necessary. There are certain people that cannot be ministered to in Bridgeway because they have to be ministered to in a certain way. And this is not their home. If everybody's like Bridgeway, they have nowhere to go. And that's not right. That's not good. Um, I was listening, just as the Sacramento Kings have launched their new basketball season, I was listening to a commentator on one of the first games. They were playing the Chicago Bulls. 
And there were, he was the commentator before the game was reflecting on a player by the name of Marcus Thornton. Marcus Thornton used to be a starter. And this year he has a bench role. And the commentator said, Marcus Thornton's ability to succeed this season will be completely contingent on how he sees this move. If he sees it as a demotion, he's done. If he sees it as a different role, he'll thrive. Because here's what a bench player does. If you're the sixth man or the man that comes off the bench first, the first five guys get absolutely exhausted. They are beating their brains out trying to win the game. And later in the game, you're supposed to come flying off the bench with all the energy in the world, bring a boost to the whole team and continue to score with energy. Is it a demotion? I don't know. It depends on how you want to look at it, right? Because you're not a starter anymore. You don't get the little title starter. And boy, that's going to agitate you, right? I can tell you this. If ultimately a player like that sees it as a demotion, owns it as a demotion, and becomes worse in attitude, he will at some point cease to be a part of the team. Our attitudes and perspectives matter because we don't always get to do everything we want to do, right? The simple fact is the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you, it is this. Everyone is vital to what God desires to do. Everyone is vital to what God desires to do. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to 1 Corinthians 12, 12. We'll just read through the rest of the chapter, and then we'll tear it apart, all right? Paul is continuing on. He says this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that's not going to make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? The whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all, do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you, show you still a more excellent way. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we struggle sometimes knowing how you made us, and we struggle even more with our value in the body, and so, Lord, we limp along. Um, Lord, I do not believe that your body is operating at full capacity. I don't even believe we're operating at half capacity. I believe that your body could storm the gates of hell and the gates will not prevail. And yet, Lord, so many of us step out. We touch and go. Lord, we are interested only in parts of it. We're not willing to be consumed by you and thereby not utilizing our gifts. We let the enemy get away with so much. Father, would you blend us together in a beautiful way? Would you show us that we are all necessary in your kingdom? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's zoom back to verse 12. Let's tear it apart line by line here. It says this. And he uses kind of a, I mean, it's so simple, it's kind of silly. I mean, he uses like a physical body. It's not like we can't grasp that. It's not rocket science. You know what I mean? You look and you go, okay, I get it. I get it. But hold on a second. He said, for just as the physical body is one cohesive unit and has many limbs, parts, organs, and all the parts of the body, though many are one body working in conjunction for use, so it is with Christ. Now we can look at that and we go, yeah, I get the analogy. Stop. I don't, I don't think you'll go deep enough. For a moment, let us consider the complexity of the human body. Because we just look and we go, yeah, I get it. You move forward, right? Yay, right? Okay. No. I remember being in an apologetic seminar one time and they were talking about intelligent design. Uh, the idea that there is a creator. And the whole entire lecture was based on one body part, the eyeball. The eyeball is so intensely complex that it is impossible for it to gradually become. It hinges on so many multifaceted pieces that have to work all at the same time. It cannot evolve that way or it just doesn't work. One part of the body. Mind exploding possibilities. Let's think about for a moment the idea of locomotion, the idea of moving forward. Right. The idea that I can walk back and forth across the stage seems so natural and normal. But we've all seen little babies. You actually kind of got to work on that part. Right. But what's intriguing is our balance. Much of our balance hinges on what the big toe. Which for all practical purposes, I hate feet is a stupid body part. (laughs) I like children feet, baby feet, adult feet, gnarly. (laughs) Don't like feet. On the big toe, the idea is every time you balance, wherever you move, it is your stabilizer. If it is removed, your balance is entirely thrown off. But then, let us say that you are struck in the head in a concussive way, or your ears are slammed with something. What happens to your balance? It's gone off again. We talk about issues like vertigo. None of those have anything to do with your legs. Why in the world can I not balance because of something going on with my head? That doesn't even seem to make any sense unless you understand how nicely and neatly God put together an ecosystem that you carry around every day. If indeed it is that complicated and that complex and there are things going on with our bodies that we don't even understand, do you not think that that is true of the church? 
that there are things going on in here that we don't understand. There are ways that we interact and work together that we would never imagine. Therefore, if you pull your trigger on your gifts, all of a sudden it has a reverberating effect way over here that hits this person, they fire, and all of a sudden we have a whole new way of living off two people that just utilize their gifts. Why? Because we're that tied in together. So as much as we look at this, he said, so it is with Christ, meaning that's kind of how Christ works. You've all heard the analogy that when they talk about the body of Christ, Christ is usually positioned as what? The head of the body. Why? That which turns the body. And do you understand just even movement is controlled by firings up here in the head, right? All right. For in one spirit, we were all, we were all baptized into his body. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We were all baptized by the Holy Spirit, all of us. Now, let me clarify what all means. Is everybody clear that not everybody in church is going to heaven? Y'all clear that not everybody that calls themselves a Christian is truly a Christian? Do we all understand that there are true believers and not? Meaning that we don't just get to play a game and say a couple words and think that we are um, saved and we may or may not be. I don't ever pretend to assume that everybody is just because they look good on the outside that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know what level of surrender there is. I have no idea what level of trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior that you have. But understand this. If you are a true believer in the eyes of God, you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and there is not another one. Let me explain a little deeper on that because i'm about to get into a controversial issue if you are not baptized by the holy spirit you're actually not a true believer there is no such thing as a true believer without the indwelling of the holy spirit it is by definition what happens to you at conversion so you actually can't have a believer who does not have the holy spirit that's a misnomer you can't have that for in one spirit we were all that means all. In Greek, all means all. Thank you. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. That means there is no second class. And all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, what's cool about that word made to drink is there's two definitions for it. It can either mean given a drink or it can mean irrigated. That's a better term it means we were showered with we were poured out on we were immersed in the holy spirit that's pretty awesome all of us now why do i keep making that clarification because i grew up in a denomination where a couple things were said to me that i had a hard time with What's so beautiful about it is that God is reuniting me with that denomination and being able to see the beautiful pieces of that denomination and the amazing men and women of God that are in there. And now we're getting a chance to have great dialogue and connecting. But understand, there were two pieces that I really struggled with. They are both addressed in this passage. Number one is the idea that there are two types of Christians. There are those that are saved that know Jesus Christ and are going to heaven. And then there are those that are saved, which are actually empowered to do something effective. The other class, the second class, are those that have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
So you can be saved and not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was taught. And that you had to seek it at a later date and then you would get a supercharge that would take all of your gifting and actually energize it and make it useful. The problem with that is it creates two classes. You have the normal class and then the effective class. That is a difficulty, it is a problem, and it goes directly against scripture right here. For all were baptized into one body. Now, why would they believe that? Why would they have an idea that you would need to seek a second baptism? Because in addition to that, the second thing that I was taught was when you receive that second baptism, you will receive the gift of tongues as evidence of that second baptism. And that is your confirmation lock that you are now effective for ministry in living. Okay. Because of those challenges, I had to part ways with that denomination back when I was 16 years old. Now, why would they think that? There's actually a brilliant reason why they think that. And we're going to go through that right now. They read the book of Acts. Have you ever read the book of Acts? Okay, the book of Acts is a weird book. It's an awesome book. It is a book of like superheroes. It is a book of God flying through the church and doing crazy stuff. And you're like, yeah, you know, you're like, I want to live like that, you know, and everybody goes, we want to be like the early church. We want to be like the early church and all the new church plants. We want to be like the early church, right? It's it's all this, this stuff. What you're going to find out is that's actually a bad idea, but the early church, something happened in Acts chapter 2. Anybody remember the famous time? was We call it Pentecost. Now, what happened at Pentecost? In Acts chapter 2, um, Peter was out there with the crew, and they were having a big, huge Jew party. The Jew party was that we're all going to Jerusalem, we're all going to hang out with God, we're all going to talk about Judaism, we're all going to gather together as all buddies, we're all families, we're connected, we're all awesome, but largely we're Jewish. How do we know that? Because the original disciples were all Jewish and their crew, the people they hung out with were all Jewish. So it tended to gather in all the Jews. It was a Jewish festival. So we have all these Jews together and Jesus said, now you wait until power comes from on high. You remember that hits them in the upper room. They break out and all of a sudden they fire off on tongues. Right. Whoa, craziness. Oh my gosh, they're speaking in different tongues. I can understand this guy. I'm from a different nation. This is craziness. Peter starts prophesying and he's preaching and people get saved and, it, and God rocks the world. Right? Well, then we get to Acts 8. Peter and John hear about an area where God is moving and they go into Samaria. And there in Samaria, they come across some folks that they said, hey, do you have the Holy Spirit? And they said, no, we have, we have Jesus. He said, like, oh, that's not good. All right. Well, you know what? And they lay hands on him. They pray the power of the Holy Spirit on him. And guess what happens? Breaks out. God breaks out. Speaking in tongues. Da, 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 all over again, right? Whoa, people are getting saved. This is awesome. That's great. Then you go one more. Acts 10. All of a sudden, a guy named Cornelius, a Gentile, 
He then has Peter come over and Peter gets his vision from God. Don't call clean. Don't call unclean what I call clean. And, and I'm embracing all these different things. And he goes and he lays hands on Cornelius. And Cornelius and his crew, they received the power of the Holy Spirit. They knew about Jesus. Now they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, wow, tongues, da 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 da, da all over again. I'm just going to keep doing that all day long. And you know why? Because it's so irritating. Even to me. So why would they believe that you need a second baptism of the Holy Spirit? Oh, I don't know. We just saw it three times. And every time it happened, what was the evidence? Tongues. I don't know. Sounds like if you read your Bible, you'd go, seems pretty obvious to me. What's the problem with it? They read the book of Acts. What? Acts is a transition book. Acts is a book that takes you from Old Testament to New Testament. Acts is where God is morphing and spinning the brand new thing, the new covenant, into the world. And the reason why that's important is because stuff happens in Acts that doesn't happen later. When we always go, I want to be like the early church. Do you understand the church on day one didn't look anything like the church on day 10? And then it didn't look at anything in the church 10 years later. And then 100 years later, you couldn't even tell the difference. They're all different. It was morphing. As a matter of fact, it all starts out, hey, kumbaya, man, let's all have a commune together. Let's just live and I'll bring all my money. And you. at some point we use up everyone's money. Then we're like, dude, let's go grab someone else's money, you know. And then... And then eventually it's like, man, we got to be home churches. And all of a sudden they realize, well, it blew up too big and we'd all like to hang out together and we need a building. The bottom line is, is that the church was morphing so rapidly things were happening. Not only that, but God had to inaugurate and initiate that the Christian church was legitimate. Therefore, he explodes where first. It's always Jew first, then Gentile. You got that? Here's the problem with Pentecost. It broke out in a nation with three separate groups that don't get along. First one struck with the Jews. It's always the Jews first. Those are God's chosen people. Breaks out with all the Jews. The issue, there's an area right in the middle of their country called Samaria. Anybody remember the story of the Good Samaritan? What was the point of that story? They hate each other. Jews go around that area. I don't care if you are in Israel. I don't hang out with you. I don't talk to you. I don't like you. I will not even get your dust on my sandals. So any Pentecost that hits with the Jews, guess what it doesn't touch? Samaria. Why do you think God had to have Peter and John, two Jewish guys, the head of the team, go over and lay hands on a Samaritan? Do you remember the woman at the well? She was a Samaritan. They didn't even want to be there. Go over and touch them. Why? I don't like them. They're gross. Touch them anyway. All right, boom, it explodes. And it was an outward thing. And they went, man, that's like our Pentecost. Dude, this is legit. They got one more group that's missing. Nobody hangs out with Gentiles. Samaritans don't hang out with Gentiles. Jews don't hang out with Gentiles. Does God love the Gentiles too? They needed their own Pentecost. Cornelius, come here. We got the Gentiles doing this thing. God's among us. I know we have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? That's why we're here. I'm going to lay my hand. God, I hate touching these guys. He uses sanitizer. (laughs) Give him the Holy Spirit. Boom. Pentecost hits all over again. Oh, my gosh. The Gentiles are legit. Whoa, it's the exact same experience we had. Do you understand why it was necessary? 
three Pentecost hitting the three groups in the entire region and it locked them all together in unity that they would have never had unless they crossed over and laid their hands on one another. That's why it happened. Does it always happen that way? I'm going to tell you it actually doesn't. Can we pray for things and pray for power and have the Holy Spirit come crazy into our lives? Yes. Can we get rid of ourselves and get out of his way? Can we pray and soak in the spirit? Yes. Can we have the Holy Spirit break out on us in craziness? Can we have amazing miracles happen in our midst? Yes. But do not say it is a separate baptism. Watch your language. Because that's not what's happening. We do not have two classes. We have one family. And that's it. We'll pick it up in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Why? Usefulness and necessity. We know what it's like when our body is out of whack, yes? There's not many bodies. There's one body. Uh, I remember um, my mom had cancer when I was little. And um, I remember trying to wrap my head around what cancer was. And later on, I heard the most simple definition of cancer that you could ever tell a child. And basically, it is this. Cancer occurs when someone's cells go renegade. Their cells start doing their own thing. They're not doing what the rest of the body is doing. They're going off somewhere else. And when they begin to do that and other guys join along with them, it creates cancer. That, unfortunately, is pockets of the body of Christ. We do not want to support the church. We want to do our own thing. We're going to go renegade. We're going, it's called cancer, you guys. There's not many bodies. There's just, there's just one. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that's not going to make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that's not going to make it any less a part of the body. These people know what their gifting is. Now, many of us don't even know what our gifting is. These people know what their gift is, but they're looking around and going, there's nobody like me. I don't matter. Y'all know these people? These are the Eeyore Christians. Right? Well, I believe God has gifted me, but there's nowhere to serve. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body's an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Stop thinking you're useless. The fact that you may be rare means that you are even more important because we don't have a lot of you, right? We actually need you. There are certain limbs that are duplicatable, right? We have two arms. We have one nose. So therefore, I understand you feel a little bit out. I understand you don't feel like everybody's like you. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's necessary. Maybe that's healthy. It doesn't mean that you're not important. Here's the problem. We have all these denominations, all these churches, all these parachurch organizations, right? You know what they end up being? Body part piles. Can you agree? We just got out of Halloween, right? This is exactly how you would do things for Halloween. If you saw a whole pile of bloody arms and they would go, we're the body of Christ, we're the body of Christ. No, you're not. You're a pile of stumpy arms. That's all you are, right? And what we end up doing is we go, I want to be like me. I want to be like me. I want to be like, you know, you, you're like me. Let's hang out together. And then all the gifts are shoved into little containers. And then all the parachurch organization looks over and goes, the church is terrible at that. I'm going to start an organization because they won't even let me be play with them 
They won't even let me do anything in there. My gifts don't really fit there. So I'm going to start my own organization. And then you get a body part pile. That's not a body. And unfortunately, because of our divisiveness, because of our lack of unity with other denominations, we do not have a lot of gifts represented. We have an awful lot of one or two, three kinds. When people find out that their gift is breathed life into, let's say they're an amazing musician. They do one of two things. They immediately break off and create a mission silo and go, I'm going to go on the road. I'm all by myself. Or they go, I want to be able to minister here. And if I can't forget it, nobody wants me. And they break off. Why can't we go, wow, God just gifted me. I wonder what he wants me to do. How I play my part. Right. But as it is, verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chooses. So guess why you have the part you have? Because God said so. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. You're not allowed to say, don't worry, man, you can go home. We got this. Dude, I got the teaching ministry. It's all right. It's cool. I don't need you. You can, you can go on. Bye-bye. Seriously? Let me explain something to you. Do you understand the power of the greeting ministry? The greeting ministry is this. They are the ones greeting you at the door, smiling when you're not even smiling at them. They're the ones handing you the sheet that you're now writing on and writing notes down so you can learn. They're the ones that just served you communion while you took of it and probably didn't even say thank you as they passed it over to you. They're the ones that are consistently trying to organize everything in the back. They're trying to look out and make sure that you have a seat so you're comfortable so you can sit and don't feel left out. They're the ones making sure that at all the events, is there somebody there to be a smiling face? Nobody tends to give any credit to the greeting ministry, but we don't exist. We don't have the same healthy heart. We don't live the same way without that ministry. Is it flashy? What, they, oh, they can go home now because what, I got this one? Are you kidding me? No way. And you think in this church that we would dare be as healthy as we are, that we would ever be what Bridgeway is today without Russ Graff. Are you kidding me? Pastor Russ Graff is one of the most important figures in this entire church. And some of you guys don't even know who he is. He's my partner in ministry. He's my buddy. And he's great at what he does. And that is why we're healthy. You think Pastor Mark is not indispensable? That he's going on underground at all times. He's meeting people and he's the one out in the lobby and he's checking in and trying to help out people and ministry team leaders and he's getting things going. But you don't see him up here. We have to understand that the rules are different, but the value is the same. It says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, those that are less showy, right? They're indispensable. Verse 23, and on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. In Greek, it means the parts of the body that you look and you go, oh, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be on our front page. <laughs> you put clothes on them is what it is, right? They're the torso, right, of the, of the body where you look and you go, wow, that part of the body has a love handle. Let's go ahead and just woo, wrap around that sucker. That's awesome. 
You know what I mean? And these and these are the, these are the ministries like, for example, that you wouldn't show out to the world. It's not the part that you're. Uh, how about the people that do the accounting of all the money in church, and they're the ones that are gathering it in and counting it and sorting it? Is that what we're going to display to the world? Hey, you guys, we have this killer money counting ministry. That's not awkward, because people don't even understand it. They don't understand why it's necessary. You get it because you're on the inside. They don't get it, so you cover that one. Does that make sense? And then look at the next one. It's my favorite. And there are are unpresentable parts. That's your private parts. That's how the Bible talks about them. And they're treated with greater modesty. Which, by the way, I have so many jokes on which ministries are these. Right? But I'm not going to tell them. And you want to know why? Because I'm an adult. They are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. I'm going to tell you something I'm embarrassed by. I'm embarrassed that our church continues to only want the showy roles, the fancy ones, the famous roles. You know how it comes out to me? Worship team. You know how many people want to be on the worship team? A lot. No one wants to be on the youth worship team. Hmm. Is that because your gifts are so awesome they need to have a big, huge group? Is that your problem? Seriously, kids aren't valuable enough to you. That's not good enough. I'm playing to a bunch of high schoolers and they don't even understand that my riffs are awesome. (laughs) What, your voice is so angelic. Why waste it on the children? Are you kidding me? If you are gifted, you play your part. You play your role wherever God has you. You may be awesome. I'm not denying that. What I'm saying is they deserve awesome. And I'm telling you that we have worship needs, high school, junior high, kids way. Nope, everybody wants the big stage. I don't like that. That's embarrassing. What, you got teaching gifts and you're only cool if you got this thing? You want this pulpit? You want everything that goes with it. You want the panic attacks? You want to get, have everything held onto your shoulders? Is that what you want? I'll trade you right now. Let's go ahead. You take it. See how it rolls. I'll go back and teach the kids. Why? It's safer there. And I can go out and I can use all my gifts there without all the heat. We've got to wrap our minds around the idea that diversity is necessary. Can't be doing that. It's not right. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I just had this verse quoted to me by another senior pastor of a significant church in the area. We're hanging out having breakfast. And he says, Lance, you know that part where it says we suffer with those who suffer and rejoice with those who rejoice? Have you ever noticed that we're always really good with suffering with each other but not rejoicing? He said, man, when someone gets blown up by God or something bad happens, we'll go, oh, buddy, come here, give him a little hug, send him encouragement. I'll pray for you, dude. But the minute the other guy in ministry skyrockets in popularity because God 
is honoring him, we never cheer. Our jealousy fires up and we just go, whatever. God, how come that wasn't me? What, you think I can't do it better than that guy? Seriously? You're going to let that guy be known by the world. Come on, the dude, it's weak sauce, right? (laughs) Come on, everybody knows I can do that better. We don't rejoice when other people have something awesome. We need it. Amen. 28. And God has appointed in order to address these issues. And he's about to tell you about more spiritual gifts. Now, I messed up last week when I told you there were four lists. I forgot that there were two lists in the same chapter. So I messed up. There are five lists of spiritual gifts. Two of them, we, one we studied last time, one we're studying today. And then there's three others. So I told you four. I was wrong. And God has appointed in the church first. Now, he's going to number the first three in order of kind of how they laid a foundation. First, apostles. Initially, the apostles were who? The 12 that hung around with Jesus from the beginning to the end. They got Matthias in there when Judas was out. Then they started grabbing people like Paul and Barnabas. And eventually, the term apostle actually began to mean missionary. The one that would travel around, break new ground, be pioneering and they would set up churches all over the place. Then there was prophets. Prophets were more local. Understand how important these guys were. They were speaking what God wanted to say. Understand that in the place where we're at in history that we're reading, the first gospel, Mark, hasn't even been written yet. There are no gospels. You think the prophets are necessary? They were huge. But you had to test everything they said. You had to examine them. I always wondered, why did the prophets just die out in the church? Why was that? When when did that get crushed? There was a guy named Montanus back in history, and he was this heretic kind of dude, and he started going off about end times, and I have all the prophecy when Jesus is returning, and they were so angry at the heretical views, the church shut down the whole office of prophet. I didn't know that because of a couple yahoos. Hmm. It says, and then he had third teachers, the people that work with people to implement the word. It's kind of the pastor thing, right? Then miracles, demonstrations of power, then gifts of healing, right? We know all about that stuff. Then helping. You know what helping, the gift of helping is? It means you're an assistant. You bring assistance, but you don't just bring any kind of assistance. When you're on the task, things really happen and get done. You bring great benefit. Administrating. You know what administrating means in Greek? The word for it, it means a pilot who steers a ship. You not only know how to steer a ship, but you know how to chart a course and how to get there. That's impressive. That's a leadership gift. And various kinds of tongues. Why are tongues listed last? Because the Corinthians were hyper-gifted and tongues were their favorite because it was outward and showy. And they're like, we're awesome. Check us out. We have the gift of tongues. So Paul goes, oh, look, you're on the bottom of the list turned it completely upside down and goes really that's awesome for you however that doesn't benefit any of us you know what how about let's focus on some other things and here's the final piece are all apostles let's answer the first question no they are not we can all agree on that all right then everything after this the answer is no that's why they're in a list are all apostles are all prophets are all teachers do all work miracles do all possess gifts of healing do all speak in tongues do all interpret the answer is no guess what Not all believers, true believers speak in tongues. That was the second piece that was delivered to me that is biblically inaccurate. No, 
All believers do not speak in tongues. How do we know that? The Bible told us so right here. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. What, what's a more excellent way than being super spiritually gifted? Being loving. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. Okay, here's my closing challenge. I can't even tell you for confidentiality reasons what we're involved in in connecting with other churches, unifying, locking arms with. I'm talking about revival in this area. I'm talking about things that have not been done in this area. I'm talking about crazy stuff underneath. Just as an example, I'm preaching at a... Uh, one of four on a panel of a pastor's meeting where four different pastors are all speaking in their gifting. Mine's on the word of God. Why? Because that's my gifting. Someone else is speaking on prayer. Why? Because I'm lame at that. Someone else is speaking on um, the issue of fellowship because they've been doing it forever. Someone else is on service. Why? They're geared that way. And all of a sudden, the body of Christ from four different churches, they're all preaching together to a bunch of churches and a bunch of pastors, and we're all fusing together in understanding that revival is coming and understanding that God is about to rock this world, and we need to be able to lock arms, and we all show up. I need you to heal. I need you to heal. I know what happened to you in the past was wrong. I know you're hurting. I know it doesn't feel right. I know that you go, well, there are a bunch of corrupted blah, blah, blah. Stop. That's my job. Let our leadership figure out who is corrupt and who we have to set boundaries with and who we can connect to. Let us do that job. God will hold us accountable for that. You don't have to do that. I need you to heal. I need you to forgive. I need you to move forward because when I rally my part of the flock, when our army rises up, everybody shows, everybody comes, everybody's a part of this body. We don't stay home because I don't like that guy or I don't No, we're a family. So we have tools to help you heal and tools to help you move on. I'm not forcing you. I'm encouraging you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for your beautiful design in this church, your beautiful design, Lord, in us, in our bodies. And, Lord, you are a great and wonderful maker. That You are so infinitely creative and amazing that, Lord, we just want to give you praise. Be glorified here, and please help us heal from our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.